This is an ABC podcast. Talohani Kamna Maori and good morning. This is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Aggie Dubal here for your Monday morning. Hope your weekend went well. Well, what's on the show today? We head live to Fiji to get the latest on all things politics. And don't assume, but include, are the sentiments of international development workers. Australia and the committee needs to hear it and help to do their planning more effectively and having it collectively and designed with us. How does one heal from trauma? Global Movement She Is Not Your Rehab are on their world tour, ready to offer help. If we don't help them heal, the cycle just carries on. And so that requires, which is very hard for a lot of people in government and organisations, to really sit with people. In order for us to sit with people, you have to sit with yourself. Stay tuned for all these stories. We really appreciate your company. I'm Aggie Dubol and this is Pacific Beat. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Firstly, though, cyclone season. It started unprecedentedly early in the South Pacific with the official formation of Cyclone Lola north of Vanuatu over the weekend. The Joint Typhoon Weather Centre predicts Lola has the ability to ramp up to a severe Category 3 or 4 storm. The cyclone is expected to affect the northern and possibly central islands of Vanuatu and the eastern side of the Solomons. For more, I'm joined live by Neville Cooper from Nandraki Weather. With that, I say good morning. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us this morning, Neville. I mean, what is the current situation? So uh, 6 a.m. this morning, uh, local time, um, the centre of the cyclone was around about um, that 300 kilometres to the northeast of um, Torres Island, in the far north of Vanuatu. It is moving slowly southeast overnight. Um, but it is expected to take a more southerly course uh, today. And so it should, um, all being equal, uh, run down the um, the chain of islands of the Vanuatu archipelago and uh, and then drift away to the southwest into the Coral Sea, perhaps later tonight and tomorrow. So uh, at this stage, the most threatened islands are the northern group of Vanuatu and uh, parts of the far eastern uh, Motu group of uh, the Solomon Islands. Neville, uh, any idea of when it is expected to pass? So at this stage, it's moving fairly slowly. It's probably only doing about uh, 10 kilometres an hour. Um, It is expected to hang around probably for another 48 hours, and it is intensifying far more rapidly than we first expected it would. Um, It's already a Category 2 this morning, uh, which means winds near the centre of storm force up around... uh, 40, 50 knots, about 50 knots this morning, which is about 85, 90 kilometres per hour, mean winds. And it is um, forecast to become a Category 3, a severe cyclone, uh, by tonight um, as it starts to move closer to the um, Torba province, uh, Torres and Bank Island uh, province of Vanuatu. So there are already uh, warnings out for very heavy rain, uh, possible landslips, um, over the islands up there, and um, uh, some local flash flooding as well. Uh, you said it could possibly go up to a Category 3. How long do you think it'll be around for? So at this stage, uh, the, the predictions are reasonably consistent in keeping it at that strength for about uh, 
30, about 24 to 36 hours, um, say until around uh, mid, midday, um, uh, late tomorrow, perhaps late tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, but it could hang around uh, as a still a significant storm through most of Wednesday as well as it passes um, probably just uh, a couple of hundred kilometres or so west of um, of uh, Port Vila. Um, not likely to directly affect Port Vila, but um, it's not out of the question. Um, but at this stage, um, most of the uh, impacts are likely to be felt uh, from uh, Santo, uh, Spiritual Santo and Luganville and those places but and further north. Neville, what uh, is it that people really need to know? Any sort of warnings uh, that they have to be aware of? Yeah, look, uh, the, the usual things with cyclones, you, you need to be aware that uh, there's going to be very heavy rain um, and that associated with that is uh, the risk uh, we mentioned earlier of, of landslides and, and so forth. But also uh, winds are strengthening. So we're looking at winds getting up to around 100 kilometres per hour plus um, average wind speed um, later tomorrow morning and through much of tomorrow during the day for some of the um, islands to the north um, with gusts up around 130, 140 kilometres per hour um, likely also. Um, so certainly mariners should uh, um, seriously consider whether they need to be out on the waters, coastal waters at this time um, and, and the farmers should be looking at um, taking some uh, preventative measures to protect crops and, and so forth. You know, if you've got uh, bananas, cut the, the big leaves back, uh, just leave the trunk if you can. Um, you know, take out some root crops if you, uh, if you can, um, just to keep uh, some, some food after the cyclone has passed. Um, I think people are pretty well aware of, of how to respond in these sorts of situations, and I'm, I'm sure that the Vanuatu um, uh, National um, Disaster Authorities are, are well on top of it. Mm, absolutely. But with cyclone season, you know, it hasn't really officially started yet. What does the early formation of Cyclone Lola possibly tell us about what's in store for the rest of the season? Yeah, look, so we, we are in emerging La Nina, uh, um, El Nino, I beg your pardon. Uh, we've been in La Nina now for the last three years, but El Nino is um, is is um, now in its sort of late infancy, early adolescence, I would say, in terms of this event. So um, we don't really know exactly how it's going to look when it's fully grown, but f- um, seeing a cyclone uh, season begin so early is what you would normally expect for a significant El Nino event in the Pacific. Um, there's a lot of very warm ocean water. Uh, that's part of the overall change in the weather pattern around the Pacific with climate change and so forth. Temperatures about a degree, degree and a half, in some places up to two degrees warmer than average in the open ocean. Um, so uh, that extra heat in the, in the uh, ocean water will help to uh, ensure that these sorts of systems do become quite strong and powerful over um, over the next uh, over the season ahead, so we'll be watching very closely um, just to see exactly how things unfold after this. But it is a, a worrying sign to see something happen so early, and particularly with such a well-defined uh, South Pacific convergence zone to the north of us, which is um, um, not showing no signs of going away at this stage. So that's where cyclones form, and we do expect something to to come out again, uh, perhaps in you know in the next weeks, few weeks. Mm, absolutely hoping everyone does stay safe. But Neville, thank you very much for keeping us up to date. We will follow up with you again. 
Great. Thanks, Nagy. No worries. That was Neville Coop from Nandaraki Weather joining us there. And if you're in Vanuatu and want more information, you can listen to Radio Vanuatu or visit the Vanuatu Meteorology website or Facebook page. Pacific Beat. To Fiji where Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka had completed a successful state visit to Australia last week. But it won't be such a smooth return when he's back in office. His government coalition is experiencing cracks in the partnership between the three political parties that rule the country. A surprise cabinet reshuffle by Rambuka hasn't gone to plan, and within his own party there seems to be some content, uh, discontent. So keeping track of all of this is John Frankel, Professor of Comparative Politics at Victoria. University in Wellington. With that, I say kia ora, John. Good morning. Morning. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Really, what Hi. is the urgent priority for Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka when he's back at his desk this morning, I would say? Well, he, yes, he clearly has to do something about this um, cabinet, proposed cabinet reshuffle. He was going to uh, move the Attorney General and the Minister of Lands uh, from one, each to the other's portfolio. Uh, but the uh, a candidate from the, the Minister of Lands, Viliami Vosorongo, has three times in the past been uh, uh, found guilty of professional misconduct. And according to the legislation, that renders him ineligible. The, the new government has found a number of problems with appointments as judge, director of pu- public prosecutions and attorney general that there are this, there are these legacies of uh, findings of professional misconduct against the people that it wants to put in these positions, and uh, and therefore they can't adopt those positions. So some other alternative will have to be found. Yeah, what has spurred the reshuffle? Do you think this was just a captain's call on Rambuka's part? I think the um, the, re- the reshuffle in the Attorney General's position occurred because Siromi uh, Turanga, the initial appointee, uh, was clearly struggling in the post, um, was having difficulties, uh, it needs someone with perhaps a little bit more experience in that position, and he, his uh, skills might better be uh, deployed elsewhere. There was quite a lot of criticism of various statements that he's be- made and various uh, things that he's done. The... Uh, reshuffle between the Ministry of Education and the uh, Ministry of Fijian Affairs is a bit different. The uh, Minister of Education, Aseri Randrondro, is one of the members of the small Sodelpa party that was the third party that joined the coalition and is widely thought to be the person that actually voted against the new government. Um, He's also got a track record of brutality against women, uh, indeed against the uh, Prime Minister's own daughter, and there's and he's had a big feud with his own permanent secretary. So uh, wise minds might have thought it appropriate to shift his portfolio and get him out of the Ministry of Education and possibly out of a cabinet position altogether. Yeah, I mean, uh, the PM obviously wants to go ahead with the appointment of Vosarongo, but he also is going to wait for the Law Society to take the matter to court. Uh, is that going to change anything? Well, I, th- I think it's pretty open and shut, unfortunately. If you look at the uh, situation with the, um, uh, the these findings of professional misconduct, uh, there isn't really... It, the, the, the Constitution says that you can't be Attorney General, you can't be a judge, you can't be Director of Public Prosecutions if you have such a finding against you. And the problem is that, these, uh, that various people pleaded guilty to these charges. There is no way of um, appealing after one... 
has um, pleaded guilty. Uh, they could potentially change the legislation and pass an act through Parliament. But firstly, that would take time. And I think the wiser legal minds in Fiji are telling me, you know, that that's a tricky route to go down because that involves you know, some kind of legislation that allows a selective handling of these past cases under the former regime. And I'm told that although although some of these cases are certainly harsh and it was pernickety in many ways, they were applied across the board, not only at opponents of the regime, but also some people who are on side. Mm. Uh, another one that's interesting, Sadelfa, of course, you know, junior partner, yet very important partner, uh, stresses that there was sort of no consultation on the reshuffle. Do you think this was deliberate? Yes, that's a strange one, isn't it? You would have thought there was some, I mean, some people are saying there was no consultation. Uh, I'd like to see clear evidence of that. It does seem, seem a little strange because clearly there's been tons of consultation with Sardelpa about all sorts of matters. Indeed, there are other criticisms that suggest that there's too much collusion with Sardelpa about board appointments uh, while when they haven't actually resigned their positions in the uh, political parties. So, um uh, it, obviously, it's very, very important for the new government to keep Sadelpa on side. They need those three MPs in order to keep their majority. If they lose those three MPs, we could potentially have Fiji First, the, gov- the government of the former uh, coup leader, Frank Bainimarama, coming back into office, although without Bainimarama because he's stood down from his position. Mm. So it's extremely important to keep Sadelpa on side until the next general election in 2026, when I suspect they will... Uh, split or not fair too well. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with John Frankel, Professor of Comparative Politics at Victoria University in Wellington on the latest uh, in Fijian politics. Uh, John, I'd have to ask, how are things within Rimbuka's own People's Alliance Party? Do you, does he have the continued support of his members? Well, there's been all sorts of rumours and there's all, all sorts of rumours on uh, social media sites that are mainly read by people outside the country uh, what I'm hearing from inside the country is that it's more stable than it appears outside. Uh, yes, there are, uh, you know, the People's Alliance Party is an interesting combination of different politicians. But some of the rumours that, uh, for example, that Manoa Kamikamida is courting the top job are, I think, dubious and uh, unproven. And uh, tr- there's a lot of troublemaking going on. Uh, behind the scenes. We've seen, for example, another one of these so-called intel reports purportedly coming from within the military that is just an enormous list of troublemaking kind of allegations trying to destabilize the new government on any matter that can be found. Nearly all of it. Sometimes there's a little bit of a smoke uh, that, that, that suggests something really is going on, but most of the time it's just troublemaking and, and entirely false. Well, uh, you talk about social media, uh, pretty much been a buzz with claims of a leaked military document uh, outlining military concerns about the current government. Uh, first, is it a credible document? Well, I, I think, I mean, it's not, there are some people that have said that it's authentically from the military, but it attacks the commander and it attacks the commander and makes assumptions that the commander, John Kalinewa's decisions have been influenced by the fact that he's a, a relative of... Uh, uh, Rotu Mubakepa, who is one of the MP, one of the uh, 
key uh, people in leadership positions in that same party, Sadelpa, the small three-seat party that's uh, holding the balance of power. And these are spe- allegations that can be made about just about any, anyone in Fiji. You can always find some relative that they've got and explain their actions as if they're kowtowing to that person. I don't think, I think there's no evidence of that whatsoever. On the contrary, the military commander behaved quite commendably during the 2000 and 22 election and in its aftermath and has uh, um, been careful uh, not to be portrayed as being offside with the new government. Mm. So if it may not be a military document at all, but what about the substance of what it raises though? Things like violations to the constitution uh, and how the new AG or uh, sorry, attorney general has been appointed, even the director of public prosecution. I mean, would that be a cause for concern for Rambuka and Fijians in general? Mm. Well, yes, I think those those things are causes of concern. Of course, they've been raised by the Law Society as well, which is a credible organisation and puts it. And 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 when the Law Society raises something, there's a name next to it. It's the name of Wiley Clark, who's the president of the Law Society. We know where it's coming from. Whereas these intel reports are uh, clandestine. There's no one who has the courage to put their name next to it. And if no, if you don't have an, a named set of allegations, you can't give it much credibility at all. They could say anything they want. They're saying ridiculous things about uh, photos of a minister appearing nude, about grog drinking, about the standard of living. It's a, a, a vast catalogue of things with no... Uh, but real basis whatsoever. I suspect that these things don't come from the military. They come from Fiji first and people around the attorney general and the former prime minister. But if so, why don't they have the courage to put their names next to them? Mm. Well, then what do you say, John, uh, on the relationship uh, between the Fiji military uh, commander, Major General John Nekalunawai, also his boss, Home Affairs Minister, Pio Tikodunduwa, and Prime Minister himself, Sitiveni Rambuka? I mean, they're all military men. They're, they're all former, well, Rambuka and Tikondoadu are former military men, but Johnny Kalanuwa is the, is the serving commander. Absolutely, yes, but I, I think there's a, it's a long time since Rambuka was commander of the Fiji military forces, and a lot of water has gone under the bridge for Pio Tikondoadu as well. Since being a military officer, he's been permanent secretary in the prime minister's office, he's been in opposition. He was actually roughed up by Frank Bynum Ram, the former prime minister, and that was caught on camera. And he's been handling the uh, relations with the military, by all accounts, in a reasonably competent and effective way. The military does have these extraordinary powers under Section 131 of the Constitution to intervene in political affairs to protect the well-being of the Fijian people, although no one quite knows what that means. It could mean just about anything. And that's the problem. There's, uh, underlying this is a constitution that was written up without consultation with the people of Fiji that, that, that makes political power very difficult in Fiji, creates a situation of dual power, effectively, where the government uh, has uh, executive authority, but the military also has uh, powers to intervene that can be dangerous and threaten another coup. Mm. I have to finally just ask, uh, John, and I know you alluded to it a little bit earlier in our conversation, uh, former Fiji PM Baniwaramov, yes, he is free after he was found not guilty, but what are the actual political implications of this? Well, I think that, 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 like some of these appointments, was you know, there have been some missteps and, 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 and putting up these charges against Bainimarama and Gilio that didn't stick in court seems to me to be badly handled. There are enormous amount of things that have happened over the last 16 years where Bainimarama and his attorney general and indeed the police commissioner uh, could well be thought to have overstepped their powers and to have 
acted extremely ruthlessly. Maybe it's difficult to find evidence of these things. Maybe there isn't a paper trail, but there's no doubt that it occurred. Uh, and uh, a, a competent government needs to deal with this. I also think it's going to be very important as we move into the future to have a real political and ideological battle over the record of Fiji First. It still claims to have been an extraordinary government to have made all sorts of achievements in social well-being, in poverty alleviation, in economic development, uh, to have brought about the, true, the first true democracy in Fiji. These things are going to need to be challenged. They're going to be uh, issues that will dog the government unless they're uh, put to bed. Mm, and we shall wait with bated breath as to how this all turns out. But, John, we really do appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. That, of course, is John Frankel, Professor of Comparative Politics at Victoria University in Wellington. Pacific Beat. Is it 11 million or 17 million? That's the big question being asked about the population of the Pacific's largest country. That's because Papua New Guinea's last reliable census was in 2011. Current figures are based on estimates. And as Tekla Gunga reports, the government and donors are doing all they can to ensure next year's census goes off without a hitch. They arrived by boat. Statistical offices from Morbes Owen Gulf District. They're out here collecting data and living among villages. Nicholas Abraham is the Morobe Rural Census Coordinator. I know that or test the, the approach and methodologists as well as applications that will be used in the actual changes. So like uh, there's a new system that NSA has came up with called the computer assisted system where people will basically go out and interview people by entering the data into the uh, tablet and they will transmit the information directly to the National Statistical Office for processing. Unlike in the previous or fast census where people manually go out and record it on a paper. Papua New Guinea's last national census was in 2011, but there were problems with it. At the end of last year, a leaked UN report suggested that PNG's population could have been 17 million. However, PNG authorities say that is highly unlikely and task the National Statistical Office to prepare well for the national census. What really it means is that uh, NSO, after getting all this information, they'll have to analyze it and assess the information that they collect, whether it will be feasible to apply in the real census that will come on in next year in July. Okay, if this a new uh, computer system that it, a computer system works effectively, then hopefully there's a model or method that will be recommended and advised to the government to provide the funding for the actual changes to happen next year. According to the National Statistical Office and the United Nations Population, by 2045, PNG's population will reach 20 million and exceed 21 million by 2050. Tia Mesidita is UNFPA's technical advisor. UNFPA is also assisting NSO in terms of the, you know technical assistance, providing technical assistance to make sure that we are internationally um, comparable and making sure that our concepts and definitions and procedures are um, based on quality. 
It's a test run for 2024 census and will cover everything from security to logistics, traveling time, training duration, and interviewing process. And there are changes to how next year's census will be done. Because this is the first time that we're going to use tablets on a nationwide, this magnitude, no? So we will be recruiting around 20,000 people and all of them will be using tablets. So imagine how many tablets we are going to um, to use. Now, we have already tested it in, in a smaller scale, but nationwide as well. When we did the 2022 Social Demographic and Economic Survey, where we use tablets. So this time we thought that, okay, Okay, we, we did a good job in uh, last year for the for the survey. Then uh, it it gave us some sort of confidence, especially NSO, to apply the same for the July 2024. Out in Morobe, the pilot project is going well, but the clock is counting down. With just eight months left to the census. Economist Bennett Kakori says the lack of data from previous census has adversely affected PNG. Uh, most of the time I see that the problem lies in the initial stage of getting the uh, headcount of uh, the population. So this time, I will, from my perspective, from my view, I would like the NSO to do a proper planning so that they should do a good uh, count on people, especially uh, those people living in the very remotest part of the country, as well as settlements. Uh, most populations are being not counted in properly in the previous census. And that's Bernard Kakori, an economist, ending that report from Teklagunga in Port Moresbury. Well, Pacific aid experts are saying prioritising the fight against climate change and the inclusion of local communities in decision-making should be the focal point for future development planning. The Australian Council for International Development hosted a gathering of international development workers in Sydney last week. The ABC's Dubravka Volata caught up with some of them. For Nivanuatu, Flora Vano, climate change and the plight of women and girls are top of mind. To me, this is the life. This is my life. This is our young women's life, our single mother's life, our women with disabilities' life that we are talking about here. It's not stories. The main issue and the realities we face every day. Ms. Vano, who's with the organisation Action Aid, says development partners like Australia should include local communities more into their decision making. Australia and the committee needs to hear it and help to do their planning more effectively and having it collectively and designed with us, but not assuming and not thinking this is the way things are supposed to be done, but inviting us to this space is crucial. Her views are echoed by Tongan Emeline Siale Ilolahia from the Fiji-based Pacific Umbrella organization Piango. Through those stories, I'm hoping that, that some of the policies could be influenced by those stories. You know, we find that there are a very good initiative with good intention, uh, but oftentimes when it's being implemented, the, the missing point, the key important component of bringing communities participating in the good designing you know bring their experiences and their wisdom 
to shape the solution. Earlier this year, Australia launched its new development policy that requires both climate and gender objectives in much of its foreign aid spending. Under the new rules, all new international development projects worth more than $3 million will have to include them. It's seen as a counter to China's ambitions in the region. Solomon Islands Reverend Cliff Bird, who's worked in development for 20 years, says he's seen some positive change. Especially now with, with the current government, the shifts that have been happening and the way that there is a lot more attention to, listening to the needs that uh, are coming out of the communities of, of the Pacific. And so for me, this has been a very encouraging shift. But he's proposing a new way to look at development. Reweaving the ecological map framework offers an alternative that moves beyond the current ways that economic well-being is also measured. This is an alternative that derives from the Pacific Islands' views of the world, the Pacific Islands' cultural foundations, Pacific Islands' indigenous traditional knowledge which has been pushed aside and so it involves a lot of cooperation, a lot of dialogue. Aid experts will have gained some new insight from the gathering and it's now to be seen how it will translate on the ground. And that is Dubrovka Volatil with that report. I'm Aggie Dubol, you've been listening to Pacific Beat. Hey, it's Nairi. Entries are closing soon for Pacific Break, the Pacific's biggest music competition. But there's still time for you to hit us with your most fire beats. So send us your original track and you could win an all-expenses-paid once-in-a-lifetime trip to perform at Woe Madeleine in Australia. Entries close on November 2nd. For details, head to abc.net.au slash pacificbreak. Welcome back to Pacific Beat. Still to come on the show, uh, we have got that fashion show that is empowering the youth in Samoa. But now we head to... A global movement that birthed from a barber shop. She is not your rehab is currently on its world tour beginning in Australia. Co-founder of the non-for-profit organisation Matayo Brown shares his lived experiences on the horrific violence his mother incurred from his father while growing up. His talks encourage men to face their trauma sooner rather than later. And despite many pushbacks and changes of government in Aotearoa, Brown says the work must continue. Other governments around the world have approached us and reached out because people in this sector of family violence, a lot of people, organisations, struggle to work with men. Mm. Um, and my thing is, you know, the, these men are the, the people that I grew up with, the boys in my hood, my cousins, my brothers, my dad. And I think if we don't heal them, if we don't help them heal, the cycle just carries on. And so that requires, which is very hard for a lot of people in government and organizations to really sit with people Mm. and i'm always like in order for us to sit with people you have to sit with yourself and because it's hard you know the thing is when you're working with people people can smell if you're a fake if you're for them if you're against them and so i'm very intentional um very vocal about my own healing journey Mm. and so yeah this real tour the ongoing work of what my wife and i have done for for many decades for a decade and a bit what is it when you speak to young people? Are you hoping that they take away from your talanoa? Yes, I think young people are more courageous than um, the previous generation, um, than adults. Uh, this generation are, are navigating waters that we have never you know, stepped in. 
and they're very courageous online. There's a lot of online grooming, bullying, and so when we're talking about family violence and sexual assault to our young people, I'm very intentional in how I vocalise or, or put their message across because our young people are not stupid. You know, they're very smart, they're very witty, they understand things better than we think they, they, do, they don't. And so I think um, they're the next generation. You know, our young people are watching dysregulated adults at home, dysregulated teachers in the classroom. You know, how does that look for our future? Are they getting better? Do you see any improvement on the lessening of family violence in our communities? The systems that are set up, ancient dinosaur systems, do not give leeway, do not give room for our people to have voices. Me being on the ground, walking alongside people in our communities, people who society have deemed the worst, perpetrators, incarcerated, have not reoffended. And so if I'm to answer that on a personal level, I think a lot of people that we've worked with, that corrections, that prisons are dumbfounded that these guys are not reoffending. Um, why? It's because um, we sit and listen to them and walk alongside them and ask them what they actually need. People just want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to feel loved, but the system, you know, you release them out of prison, and they're in New Zealand back home, you're, they're given $300, you know? Mm. How is anyone going to survive with $300, you know? Right. So it just doesn't make sense. You talk about the system, and of course the system means that governments, you know, make policies, make rules and things that we have to abide by. Have you felt from the previous government, since we've just finished having elections, that you were able to make some sort of, you know, making a dent into those numbers, and then on top of that, now that we're in a new government... Do you think things are going to get any easier or any better? I think it's going to be harder for a lot of people who rely on government funding. You know, because for me, if I waited around for the government to come help us, we'll be waiting around forever. Mm. And so for me, it was using my story, my business um, to really help our community. And, you know, gratefully, the government seen our work. The Ministry of Social Development, they reached out to us, wanted to collaborate. Again, my initial reaction was, hell no, I don't want to lose my street cred. Um, they actually approached my wife, but they had some money that they wanted to, you know, use up. And so I always had this dream to run uh, these conferences for barbers, teaching barbers how to have these conversations with the men in their communities. The um, statistics, the data shows that the men who did these barber conferences that we, we ran, the numbers in family violence and substance abuse had plummeted. Like these men were not reoffending. And even the research, they were researching, asking, interviewing the barber's clients, even the families, mm. how these men were not, you know, using violence anymore. They were regulating themselves. And the last time we spoke, we didn't get to talk about this because it hadn't come out yet, but in a boy, can mm. you just give us a brief overview of Thank what you. that is and how that is helping our yeah. community? So in a boy was created during lockdown in New Zealand when um, Dr. Ange, I did a national interview with Dr. Ange Jury, who is the Women's Refuge mm. CEO. Um, oh, I said on national television, if there's any brother out there struggling with family violence or his mental health, please reach out to me. We got inundated with thousands of messages from men all around New Zealand. And what really broke my heart was receiving a message from a 12-year-old boy who said, Matt, I seen you on national television last night. You said you help men who struggle with anger. Can you please help me help my dad who's abusing my little brother? And when I read that message, my heart broke because it is not our children's responsibility to regulate our emotions mm. and so my wife and I jumped online tried to find this young boy help there was nothing online all the anger management courses online cost money were inaccessible were not relatable were outdated were imported from the states decorated with a indigenous pattern and told, telling people to heal and so we created Inner Boy. Um, our government were dumbfounded they, they said if we can get at least 10,000 people on this app the first year that would be a miracle. That's more than any stopping violence anger management course out there. The first day we released, 15 weeks ago, there was over 36,000 um, people on mm -hmm. our app. 
And so for me, um, what me and my wife try and work, um, work on in our organisation, she is on your rehab, is working on the invitation. What does the invitation look like? For me, it's how do I engage with men whom society has deemed the worst, deemed as perpetrators. Like, we need them to heal because these people who perpetrate violence are children's superheroes, you know? Our children still look up to their dad. They still hope that every time dad does a long leg in prison, that he would come out more healed, not reoffending, not abusing their mum. You said it was a billion-dollar problem. Yes, billions. In New Zealand alone, it's cost the taxpayer in the last 10 years $80 billion. There's, there's refuges, there's incarceration, there's police, there's social work. Like, It's a wee problem. This is not a poor brown neighbourhood problem. This is a everyone's problem. Mm. You know, My wife worked on the family violence lines for years mm. and she would receive calls from people who were educated, lawyers, doctors who were in family violence, but they couldn't ring up the police because... They couldn't afford to have the police outside their house, you know, the shame that that would bring, you know, and they would lose their profession. It's a wee problem. You know, in Australia, a year, family violence costs roughly $15 billion. What is the pure message that you want someone to walk away from when you finish your, your speaking? That your childhood trauma was not your fault, you know. Whatever you've experienced in your childhood is definitely not your fault as an innocent child, but your healing is your responsibility. Because what we do not transform, we ultimately transmit. And those who we transmit it to are the most vulnerable in society, our children and our partners. Being a man is taking responsibility of your healing journey, um, doing the work. It's not easy, it's hard, it's not rainbows and butterflies and unicorns flying, it's, it's tears. It's a lot of pain, but it's worth it. Like I'm living proof that it's possible. And that's it, living proof, because I do see how you utilise your children to be part of this Dalanoa. What has their response been like? Our, our children are part of our work, mm. they're part of our kaupapa, they're part of our movement. And so we're taking our two little ones, they're opening up every time we speak um, in these different countries. Um, you know, they hear our work, they, they have tears in some of my um, engagements where I've spoken at. They just can't fathom, they can't understand that their dad grew up, that their granddad and their grandma lived in that violent um, cycle. You know, they just can't see it because the life that they live is, is completely different. And so for me, I've broken the cycle. You know, it is possible. And that is co-founder of She Is Not Your Rehab, Matteo Brown. Pacific Beat. In the age of mobile phones, internet and YouTube, developing interest among young people about their own culture is often a challenge. And one group trying to navigate the modern world and drive youth interest in their own Samoan culture is the Malo o Ainga. And they're organising a fashion show to do exactly that. Uh, so this morning we're joined by Revival to Aloha Namusau, Becca Chadwick and Vili Toaloa on the line from Samoa. With that I say Malo le soifua. So for Monwea. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> good morning, guys. Good thank, morning. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us at Fashion Shows. I want to come to you first, Becca. Ah, why a fashion show? Where did this idea come from? Um, we are the, the founders of the, the Maluainga fashion designer. And the reason for is because uh, we are seamstress and designers ourselves. So that's where we came up with the idea of a fashion show. Can I come to you, Revival? Uh, how does one sort of empower youth through a fashion show? Because ah, you sort of think, well, why why choose fashion rather than maybe sport or music? Okay, thanks for um, asking the questions. 
Uh, with fashion shows can be a powerful tool to empower youth in multiple ways. Uh, I'll state it down such as um, encouraging creativity. With the youth, they have their own interest in, um, in designs and in varieties of uh, wares they like, and they're also fussy with whatever they want to put on. But as far as um, the question, we took it this way because we own a fashion shop and we know how it is to be um, doing the job for everybody that comes in and out. So mostly of our customers are youth. So we brought up this um, idea because we know some of the youths are so um, into fashion. Building self-confidence, being part of a fashion show can help young people to develop self-confidence as they get to showcase their work in front of an audience. So promoting it, it's like for them to show it more of what's the inner self they are and they have throughout this whole time in their lives. Um, creating networking opportunities, it will be a good way for us to promote it the other way, especially in fashion show. Um, that's more of it, and especially the youth nowadays, they are so selective. But with us putting this event together for them, it's more of a power uh, of a powerful tool to empower them to reach the goals and the the dreams that they have been having throughout this whole time. And it's more cheerful way for them to reach that. And what has the feedback been so far from the young people? Uh, the young people right now, the more feedback is that they keep on coming. They're so excited to join, and it's keep happening right now. Our chances for them, it's not on, it's not limited, and we're still open to anyone that wants to join. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Why is culture and tradition important for the next generation of Samoans? Um, actually, with um. Not all Samoans, not all people, because of the Western um, influence upon a, a, a young generation, we find it hard to um, to actually have them drawn into a culture, and uh, the limited exposure of um, our young people to our culture actually gonna um, one of the biggest challenge that we have. However, through this fashion show. And this activity, we, we saw the cap and uh, we have tried many other ways to get the youth together. However, uh, for instance, when we get sports, only the ones that are into sports come. When we look at dancing and, and other activities, only those who are drawn to those activities come. However, with this uh, fashion show, we find uh, after a few research, we find that everyone's into it, whether you're sporty, whether you're a dancer. And all that, so uh, we figured that it's 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 one way to bring out the Samoan culture and connect these young people with our Samoan culture is through fashion. And it's great to hear that, of course, you guys are the fashion designers. So, does that mean? Uh, can I just ask that the young kids will be wearing your clothing line, or are there other designers that they get to wear on the night? Uh, actually, we have um, a lot of other young and old uh, designers joining the fashion show, and the young people will, will definitely be modeling it. And uh, that's one way to bring them together. There are also young and youth um, 
are designers as well that are in this platform. And uh, it's one way for them to um, uh, encourage and uh, continue on with their uh, level of creativity and bringing out the ideas that they have of the Samoan culture through their arts. Yeah, because look, Samoa's not no stranger to like beauty pageants and things like that. So do you feel like this would be a way for them to go towards that type of path? Definitely, definitely. I mean, often those of us here in uh, Australia, we think because you're in Samoa, uh, it's easy to get young people involved. But that's not the case, is it? No, definitely not. It's It's not the case. Uh, being in Samoa doesn't automatically mean that uh, young people will be interested in the culture. Um, so it's, it's actually crucial to recognize the culture engagement and pride, and it must be fostered continuously. However, with the new influence of the Western um, Western culture, our people, our young people, tend to uh, adopt those uh, different culture. Even even with the way of communication, it's uh, it's mainly bilingual now. However, through this show, we're looking at uh, uh, solely doing it some one way. Uh, Revival Obeka, do you mind sharing with us uh, what the dates of the show is and when it's all going to be happening? Our launching will be on the 26th of this month, which is Thursday. And it will be at a gym one here in Tonaimato. And the biggest show follows on the 25th of November, which is next month. And it's the same venue for it as well. And so you you absolutely have the numbers. Uh, is there already a set amount of people that have come through for the youth? Or are you still looking for young people to come and join the show? Uh, we've actually maxed up the numbers. However, there's still youth coming in and we're not turning our backs on them. So there's, there's a lot more people coming in and we're accepting them to Be- come and showcase their arts. Yeah. Really special. Beautiful. So is there a message that you want to share with our listeners this morning, uh, especially for those listeners from Samoa about the show that is coming up? Uh, thank you for the great opportunity um, to have this interview with you. Um, you know, as you said, uh, you know, we are limited to... Uh, you know, communication in time, but um, we appreciate you for reaching out to us and having this interview. Um, yeah, we just want to reach out to our Samoan community, um, Australia and New Zealand, and uh, even here in Samoa. Um, we, you know, trying to help uh, uh, empower the youth to fashion, but uh, at the same time, um, you know, as, as you ask if, you know, we're turning anybody away, um, you know, we have our hands tied. Uh, there's seven fashion designers, um, and the goal is to not turn anyone uh, down. Um, the unique thing about this fashion show, too, it's not just about uh, um, individual, um, you know, people. Um, it's also included uh, family to where, you know, the husband, the wife, uh, and the kids can also be involved. Uh, we also have wares for them uh, to show off um, uh, on the catwalk. But, um, you know, just reaching out to our um, Samoan community, um, you know, if anyone is listening, um, you know, if you're happy to, you know, donate um, just to help out 
on the financial side of things. Um, it, it's a new beginning for Malua Ainga. Um, and, you know, uh, with the research for us here in Samoa is very, uh, you know, low. But, uh, you know, family's everything. And, uh, you know, that's part of the show is Malua Ainga. You know, uh, understand that, uh, you know, without our families, uh, we'd be nothing here in, in Samoa. But, uh, you know, if you like to reach out and, um, you know, donate, um, you can send us an email through Malu Ainga um, uh, 2023 at gmail.com or also uh, through Pekka, um, who is helping us uh, get through all the, you know, preparation as far as, uh, you know, the interviews and TVs and things like that. But, um, you know, before we leave the show, we just want to say thank you to all of our supporters and everyone that's out there uh, in the Samoan community and uh, in any communities um, that's, you know, maybe if you can't reach out in, um, in donations, but, uh, you know, also reach out to us in prayers, you know, because uh, the power of prayer, you know, works in mysterious ways. And we also uh, like to uh, express our uh, gratitude to ABC Radio for taking the opportunity and your precious time, you know, to um, interview us on here, um, you know, this morning. So there's no blessings in our hands, but our prayers is uh, for you guys to be blessed tenfold from above. And, uh, you know, we ask that, uh, you know, uh, ABC Radio keeps us in prayers if you guys do pray. But, uh, you know, our prayers is uh, to bless you guys uh, throughout the your journey um, as you work through your ABC radio this morning. Uh, look, we just want to say for your time this morning. All the best for the Malo Ainga show that will be coming up. We appreciate your time, guys. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. No worries. That is Revival Tualoa Namsao, Becca Chadwick and Vili Tualoa from the Malo Ainga here on Pacific Beat. What's it like for those on the front lines of science across the Pacific? Come find out on our new series, Pacific Scientific. Join us for Midnight Hunts. Put those one right there. <laughs> I didn't even see that one. Trek to remote villages. Is there someone giving birth? Yes. And climb up volcanoes. We're standing seven metres above where your home was. Get a glimpse of scientists' lives across the region. Pacific Scientific, Mondays at 3.30pm PNG time. Right here on ABC Radio Australia. Just when you thought that Rugby League was done for another year, think again. Catch every tackle and try of the 2023 NRL Pacific Championship. Australia, New Zealand, PNG, Cook Islands, Samoa, Fiji and Tonga. The 2023 NRL Pacific Championships, showcasing some of the best players in the game. Every weekend until November 5 on ABC Radio Australia, your home of rugby league in the Pacific. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. If at any time you want to get a hold of our stories, just head to our ABC Pacific page. Uh, you can hear us again same time at 3pm PNG this afternoon, but we'll be back again same time tomorrow, 6am PNG time. Stay tuned to ABC Radio Australia, though, because news is next. Coming up after that is News Daily.